what's really going on here? You're seeing people who go to work, who want more flexibility, they want more work-life balance. I think COVID created this inflection point where everything kind of came to a halt and became a reality that uh, people wanted to live differently. Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder, Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder, John Cook. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in tech, science, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest and most interesting stories in the news. This week, the future of remote work, the great resignation, and experience management technology, where it's headed and what it does. Our guest is Zig Serafin. He is the CEO of Qualtrics, the experience management technology company that's co-headquartered in Seattle and Provo, Utah. Zig, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, Todd and John, it's a pleasure to be with you. I've followed your show for years, and uh, it's just a delight to be with you guys. Yeah, likewise. You know, folks may know you from your past career at Microsoft. You've had a real long history in this whole realm of productivity software and, and really an interesting career now here at Qualtrics. You're actually coming to us from Utah. I am. I am right now. I'm actually sitting in uh, a fun office here. This is our uh, Provo headquarter, dual headquarter location and cruise down to this building uh, this morning from Park City while we've got a nice coat of snow coming down. So it's a, it's a nice time. But I do spend time between our operation here as well as in Seattle, where we've got a beautiful setup there with the Qualtrics Tower right downtown Seattle. And, and it keeps me rooted in, in uh, where I spent 17 years as well when I'm there. Qualtrics has had a really interesting year. You've not only separated, spun out from SAP, but you've gone public in that process and you've made a bunch of acquisitions. And I want to talk about that later on in the show, but through what Qualtrics does, which is in part, but as I know you'll explain, not in whole survey technology, uh, you have a real sense, a real finger on the pulse of what's happening in workplaces around the country and around the world. And some of the research that you and your team have been doing gives us an insight into what workers are thinking about where they're going to be working, not only which companies, but the kinds of settings. Zig, we've heard a lot about this great resignation, this whole notion that folks are using this moment in time to look for new opportunities or no opportunities to, to quit their jobs. What kinds of things are you seeing in that realm from the research that Qualtrics has been doing? Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, we, we do get a very unique lens across many different industries. We have over 13,500 customers around the world today. And one of the, frankly, delights of working uh, at Qualtrics and you know, focusing on the experience management industry and building a technology system is, is actually being able to work with our customers to tune into what's on people's minds. What are the issues that people are grappling with? What are the decisions that people are making? You called out some of the insights there, but you double click and you say, what's really going on here? You're seeing people who go to work, who want more flexibility. They want more work-life balance. Uh, I think COVID created this inflection point where everything kind of came to a halt and became a reality that uh, people wanted to live differently. Uh, people want better work-life balance. People want the ability to tune in and work in different environments People want to be able to spend their time in a much more flexible way. And, you know, look, if you look at the way that technology's evolved over the last 15, 20 years, and especially the last 10 years, we've made it more possible to connect and, and interact in 
pretty much any place. I you know, had the opportunity to work along with some great colleagues at Microsoft on helping to effectuate some of that with uh, platforms like what used to be called Microsoft Link and now it's Microsoft Teams. You know, the uh, fact that you know, people can be in different locations, different places provides a lot more choice. And I think amongst all of that too is a lot of changes have come about, especially in the last 18 months. And, you know, the more you see change taking place, the more it is important to understand the expected experiences or frankly, what the new experience might be for people. So Zig, what are the key issues that leaders are really grappling with as it, as it relates to their talent, whether it's them being more mobile or just the keeping them the great resignation? What, when you, when you were surveying folks or hearing from other CEOs, other leaders, what are the big issues that come, that come up that you're hearing? Yeah. I mean, look, when people talk about the great resignation, if you look at the data behind that, about half of employees across the country are, are thinking about getting a different job. I think there's a statistic that we have that uh, just a couple of months ago that about 4 million people switched jobs and quit their jobs effectively, right? So it's not about employment rate, uh, unemployment rate, as, as much as it is about what people are going to leave you and going to go choose to work somewhere else. And if you double click and you see why are people leaving and why are employees leaving? You know, some of the factors that come to the surface are people want more career growth opportunities. They want to be cared for more. They, they want to be able to feel like they have a voice on where they want to spend their time and how they engage with the organization they're part of. They want to feel like they uh, are fulfilled in what they do more than ever. It's even more important than compensation. If you look at people's workloads, there's sort of people saying, look, um, my workloads have been too heavy uh, to even be able to take a sick day. And then you know, the lines you know, that have been blurred between work and life are continuing to be blurred. You've got work stress that's been invading personal time for many people. And so those are important factors across different types, you know, different kinds of people. But if you say, for example, double click even on that data and you say, okay, how about female employees or female middle managers? And one of the statistics that we've seen is they're about three times more likely to quit than in the previous year, which is actually, I think, a signal to how leaders are being expected to engage with different people and understand the circumstances they have in life and the responsibilities. I think it's sort of raised the attention uh, as to the impact that the pandemic has had on women in the workplace. You know, the other factor that's important too is just like consumers can switch brands and, you know, be able to move from one organization or company or organization that they're doing business with, employees, it's actually easier than ever to switch, you know, from one job and going to on another. You don't have to move necessarily. You just, you know, end up logging into a different ID. And, and so there's a lot of other factors that now start to become more important, like culture, like the value system of the group that you work for. The experience that you're going to get, both from a career perspective, as well as um, the digital tools that you might be interacting with, the customer types that you might get to work with, the product problems you might get to work on. So I think what's come to the reality uh, for people is, is, you know, who you attract to work with you and be a part of what you're, you're trying to accomplish is becoming far more mission focused and truly understanding what drives people behaviors and desire to be able to opt in to want to become a part of an organization and stay with that organization is introducing a whole new set of variables. 
Some of the stats that we're referencing here and that you're talking about, Zig, are from the third annual Employee Experience Trends Report for 2022, which was put out by Qualtrics in November. And one of the takeaways that really struck me blended both the great resignation and this shift toward hybrid and remote work. And that was that 35% of workers in that survey said that they're more likely to search for a new job if they're required to return to the office full time. So you can see where this experience that we've all been through over the past 18 months, two years now, really, has added a whole new expectation to the workforce and changed the way a lot of people look at benefits and the way that they want to work. And they see remote work and hybrid work as a benefit that they want. And if they don't get it, they're going to go someplace else for some of these folks. That's right. What kind of changes is that then driving in organizations? Because to your point, I know that experience management isn't just understanding the trends, it's it's responding to them and making sure that you're sort of closing the loop in that way. Are you seeing organizations being pushed by their employees to allow for hybrid work more than they might otherwise? Well, I think what it's doing, and we're seeing this empirically, and well, I also get to see it in my conversations with people leaders, CHROs, chief experience officers, CEOs of some of the largest companies on the planet to some of the smallest companies that, you know, are, are growing or building a new idea. And, you know, what people realize is that there's a different set of factors that you have to pay attention to. It's not just how your physical work location looks and how it's set up. It's, you know, people are honing in and saying, okay, how does the culture of my company come through? What are the relationship building experiences that get created and how you bring people together because it's not going to just be a matter of people presiding amongst a group or a team of people coming to work but rather it's going to come down to the the moments and how you you know sort of rewire the cadence of the way your company operates you're going to take a harder look at and we're seeing this all over the place is understanding the motivations of an employee you know if you're trying to attract someone to become a part of your organization you Actually, you know, have a, you know it's, a, it's a requirement to become more authentically connected with what that person's motivations might be. And then you, know, you pay a lot more attention to their onboarding experience. You pay a lot more attention to what people's goals and motivations might be as they look to accomplish a set of personal career goals. You're paying a lot more attention to the technology that you're running inside of your company. If you, if you look at the analogy of walking into a physical building, it's like, okay, what's the layout? You know, what's the vibe that exists in this building? You know, even more important now is when you log in, what is the experience that you get when you start to get the feel of that organization through the way that that technology comes to life? So some tools might be outdated. Some may not be as relevant. Some might actually have a lot of friction associated with them in order to get your job done. Well, all of a sudden, IT leaders and CIOs are making an increasing priority to partner with CHROs and say, hey, what is the experience that we're actually creating for our workforce, regardless of where they are in the tenure of working for that company? And that's becoming just as important as the physical environment. But at the same time, people are also saying, like, look, let's look at the way that we're operating and how we use our physical work locations. And so people are working with us to better understand uh, what people want to get out of the physical environment. When they come into the building, what's the purpose of when you're there? What's the type of work that will take place there? And then how does that inform the layout? Uh, how does that inform the energy that might get created? How does that inform the relationship building that takes place there? So effectively, you know, you now have 
a lot more touch points and a lot more sort of speak channels or connections and ways in how you end up interacting with your workforce, all of these things ultimately end up creating the culture. And then how that person might decide to enroll into and be a part of that culture and whether they're an ambassador of that culture, I think really comes down to uh, a whole new playbook. Uh, and that's that, those are the themes that we're seeing as a result. John, as Zig is explaining the digital experience and the importance of making sure when folks log on or they get into the corporate environment remotely, I, I just can't help but think, here's the metaverse, here it comes. This is the, the killer app, right, for the metaverse, the, the new corporate portal. <laughs> I'm being somewhat sarcastic. Perhaps, but it, you know what caught me and what Zig was saying there, and it's interesting because Qualtrics, as we noted, is dual headquartered between Provo and Seattle. Zig, in 2019, your company took over a nice big uh, skyscraper in downtown Seattle, renamed it one. Qualtrics Tower, uh, and really haven't been able to utilize the space in the way that you had hoped since that time because of the pandemic. And I'm so I'm just kind of curious how you at Qualtrics are thinking about these bigger issues where you have dual headquarters, a remote staff, a hybrid staff. You have a nice, shiny, big new office complex in downtown Seattle that's not fully utilized. Like, how are you as a leader trying to adapt to all these real curveballs that have been thrown at you that I'm sure you didn't see coming due to COVID and the pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we have those two big locations here, what we have in Utah and Seattle. But then, you know, I've got about 23, 24 other locations around the world as well. And the same questions you know, exists there. So the place that we've we've really gone to is just tuning in and listening to our workforce, you know, even during the pandemic. Well, you have a good software tool to do that, right? We, we do, <laughs> we do, and it helps. And, you know, and there's both what people will tell you, and there's also how you connect with what people aren't directly telling you. And the combination of that actually helps to inform some of the decisions. And it's not a one-time thing. It's, you know, tuning in, it's listening on a regular basis, Using that to be able to inform, you know, here's what you're going to do between now and the next three months, and then here's some longer term things. It's also been an opportunity to enroll a lot of people across the company into the design of the new experience. You know, you have engineering and, and product and design teams that, you know, what they found about what really works in a fully digital realm, and then the things that they miss and they wish that were actually happening that they could do that you can only do when you come together. And so when you do come together, they now get to have a huge say in designing what that experience can be. And so, you know, we're building a big build out in Dublin, Ireland right now, and we're able to catch things early enough to be able to change out some of the way in which we're laying out the infrastructure of the building. And so those are important factors as part of it. So what is the right amount or the right repetition that a CEO or a leader of an organization needs to be tapping into that employee base? And I know different contexts, maybe you do it more, obviously, during times of crisis. But as a general rule, I'm curious for leaders out there that are thinking about how often they want to mine the knowledge base and get the feedback from their employees. Like, what do you see as too much or too little or what's right? You know, there's an art and a science behind this. And um, frankly, it's been something that uh, practitioners Think of them as uh, people with IO psychology degrees have been working on for many, many decades. Uh, what's new and what's changing is the art of the possible, how you tune into the needs and interests of your employees with the right cadence, knowing that every human being is a little different. 
And so, you know, there's a combination here, which is you look at, you know, how um, engagement factors might be changing as the workforce is changing or certain factors are being introduced. Some people will um, use solicited data. You know, we'll ask the right question at the right point in time on a regular cadence, but that also depends upon who they're asking, right? So if you take, for example, the general population of a workforce, you might check in every six months and just be able to say, how are we doing on these important variables? However, you might also be paying more attention to people that are going through more change. Say, for example, people that are being onboarded and their new hires. Some of the most important timeframes for a new hire are what happens in the first 30 days, 45 days, you know, roughly, and then 90 days, and you look at 180 days. And so your cadence will be different, but effectively, you'll also be tuning into a different set of data sets there. It's how's the IT infrastructure supporting that person? Are there issues that might be getting away with the manager? Is this person able to start to do their job effectively? Or you might actually find a negative trend line in an operational variable. Say it's a new sales rep that's been hired, and you're finding that person's ramp towards achieving quotas is not necessarily in line with the general trajectory of other sales reps. Well, guess what? That becomes a trigger to hone in and say, what do we got to pay attention to at the individual employee level or a particular population that might be showing up with that negative metric where there's an opportunity to be able to close a gap? And so it's important to have a dynamic system and one that is much more focused in on the individual human being rather than a cookie cutter approach. And I'm curious about this because I want to ask in the context of Amazon, which has its uh, daily Q&A feedback program, which has gotten a lot of criticism. Uh, you know, employees have said, eh, it's not really useful, or they even fear that it could be used to retaliate against them. It seems like a work environment that maybe the survey and the in the collection of data is almost to the point that it's it's causing negativity in the workforce. And I'm curious, and I guess that's why I was asking about when is it too much? And can you see this potentially backfire if it's not used properly. Yeah, it's really important to pay attention to this point about how you engage with people and how it's done in trust. This is a really important point. And this idea that I, as an employee of XYZ company, want you to know in trust that here's the things that are driving my motivations. Here's the things you got to fix that uh, are disengaging me. And I'm doing it within trust that you're actually going to act on it in a timely manner. You can create a virtuous cycle around how that happens. But this is not about some boilerplate template. It's not about some survey form that shows up in some of one. This is about the art of asking the right question at the right point in time and doing it in a trust with information that a human being wants you to know. And it's also you know, done in a way where that uh, organization is able to act on things in a timely way. So that's how to think about this. Well, Qualtrics itself has been through an eventful year, and I want to find out more about that from the inside. Coming up next, you're listening to GeekWire. We're talking with Zig Serafin, the CEO of Qualtrics, and we'll be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included.
Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. Our guest this week is Zig Serafin. He is the CEO of Qualtrics, the experience management technology company with co-headquarters in Seattle and Provo, Utah. Zig, the last time you and I spoke was right after you rang the opening bell when Qualtrics went public. This was a fascinating story because if I remember correctly, about two years before that, Qualtrics was about to go public and it got acquired by SAP. Two years after that, you filed and actually did pull off the IPO. What has the experience been like as you've been through this roller coaster, even just leading up to your IPO last January? What's it been like in terms of being able to plan long-term when this underlying corporate structure is in some ways uncertain at moments? Well, first off, you know it's been fascinating. It's been invigorating. It's been humbling. You know, things have happened a lot faster than one would expect to happen. And uh, to your story, we were going to go public in 2019, and we were approached by SAP with a different type of proposition, which is to accelerate the development of this technology category and experience management and go public in a different way, so to speak. It, um, frankly, was everything that we would have expected. You know, we came into SAP, which is, you know, a world leader in running some of the largest companies around the world. If you think about you know, the, the financial and planning systems and the ERP systems, chances are that SAP is at the heart of running that company. And by becoming a part of SAP, you know, by, by the way, the way that we came into SAP is we remained as an independent unit inside of the company because what we all recognize is that there was a unique technology and a unique culture for how we were running this company and everyone had the desire to preserve it, if anything, accelerate what we could do for an even larger set of customers. And so we made the decision to go public and become independent, have an independent board. And doing that, you know, some people would think it was be extraordinarily hard because you have to extract yourself from a large company. What was actually relatively straightforward for us because you know we're already running independent. We never fully integrated into SAP. And so you know we we're able to effectively spin out, but keep the unit intact. We kept the culture intact. I think of anything, it was also a defining moment for many of us where you had to decide how much you cared about what you were doing. You know, Ryan Smith, the co-founder of the company, and I went for a walk along the river uh, when SAP approached us and we talked about what matters to us. You know, why are we doing this? And what our, ten- our intentions would be if we decided to take this this buyout by SAP. And, you know, we had probably about a good 45-minute conversation during that walk, maybe even longer. And one of the things we all said is like, like, why are we doing this? We're doing this because we believe in the mission. We love what we're doing. We're not going to change anything about where we spend our time with the company. And and um, we both have families. We've got employees that we care a lot about. And so it was a galvanizing moment for us both, but that happened for every leader in the company. This transition, I must point out, from private to owned by SAP to spun into its own public company also was extremely lucrative. So you were acquired by SAP for $8 billion, and now the valuation of the company is nearly $20 billion in a very short amount of time. So uh, this has been a huge financial success. Do you worry when you look at that sort of run-up just on valuations and I'm I, not only about Qualtrics, but when we look at the market generally, are we at a boiling point here on on valuations of some of these 
technology companies, many of which have benefited tremendously. And I know Qualtrics story is one which has benefited because of the transition during the pandemic, but still lofty valuations in a short period of time in a pretty big transition there. Well, if you just take a step back and you say what's happening in the broader world and you know where technology is reshaping the way that certain industries work, creating new players in those industries, you know, creating new connections between people, changing how decision-making works. You know, there are new categories that are being formed. Our space that we're in, called experience management, it's a completely new category. It is reformatting the way that money had been spent on research and how you collect data that's you know, psychographic in nature, that's about understanding people's preferences, interests how you build relationships between employees and customers and and between organizations and their employees. It's the beginning of something very new and it actually has significant growth associated with it. And so in certain markets, what you'll find is, is that people recognize the opportunity. They see how that opportunity is correlated to the growth and the results. And I think that's partly what we see reflected in both public and private markets. And I think as part of that too, for in our view, if you look at the size of the market that we're participating in, you know, only about two years ago, it was about a $45 billion addressable market. And if you flash forward to when we were going public in January, the numbers show that it's about a $60 billion plus addressable market. So the market's growing overall. So you have about a quarter of it then, or, or about a third of it? You have about a third of the market? We will, we will hit over a billion dollars in revenue this year. At roughly, you know, we hit 49% year-over-year revenue growth in Q3, as an example. So there's some of the elements that are in play here as well. It's just part of building a new category and the level of growth that we have in it as a leader. Well, one of the things I, I assume you can use your public stock for now is acquisitions, and we've seen you do that here recently. So what's the what's the path, including a Seattle area startup, UserMind? Uh, what's the path forward on the acquisition front? Is that how you? see additional growth in the business? Yeah, I think when you go public, you do get a, you know, you have, you have the ability to use some of your cash and some of your, your stock for making investment decisions, some of which are inorganic uh, moves, i.e., you know, acquisitions. You know, I, I will say that like some people might look at an opportunity when they're public and they'll just start buying up stuff all over the place. And you know, that doesn't usually lead to a long-term enduring company that uh, people would, you know, look to want to go do business with over the long run because you end up with a, a bunch of things that, you know, been, you know, with duct tape and chewing gum wired together with a marketing stick all over the top of it. And it's not, not that interesting. Our approach thus, thus far, and it will continue to be, is to be very thoughtful, mindful of any move that we make. It's either going to be to accelerate something that our customers are already are building on, or it will expand the value that our customers are going to be able to take advantage of in an area that just makes sense. So Claire Arbridge is a really good example of that. We acquired uh, the world's leader in what's called conversational omni-channel analytics. You know, the simple form of that is these guys do a really good job of tapping into the signal of what people are telling you without having to ask anything. And they've been working at it for over eight years they you know, built over 150 different data models uh, across different industries, and they can tap into the emotion, the friction points, understanding people's preferences, interests, and at a very large scale, complement 
the uh, information that we're able to enable our customers to use in order to make some of the most important decisions about how to best serve their customers. Things like, hey, do I have the right product mix in the marketplace? What do I got to fix that's broken that continually is showing up and why people are calling my call center? And that might be getting ahead of an issue that helps to remove a broken experience for many other customers that have not yet encountered something. So highly time-sensitive decisions. Uh, the guy, you, know, you mentioned UserMind, um, a brilliant group of employees led by Michelle Feaster uh, just down the street from us in Seattle that accelerates what we're doing around journey orchestration, which is this idea where as you start to understand your customer better based upon a customer of one or a segment of customers, how do you do a better job of orchestrating what you're putting in front of them in the context of a digital commerce journey or in the context of how they might engage with you when they walk into the store and how do you better serve up the employee to serve that customer? And so it's one thing to say, hey, I think I know who my customers are based upon here's their persona and here's the segment they're in. It's another to be able to create action at a very personalized level down to the level of the next time that you end up engaging with that brand, they're delighting you in the moment. And so that's some of the things that uh, the UserMind team has been working on. It's highly complementary to the architecture of our platform, and it actually accelerates some of the things that our customers were looking for. Zig, you also have a really interesting perspective on some of the core geographies that are of interest to us, including Seattle. So I want to talk about that. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop. Our guest this week is Zig Serafin. He is the CEO of Qualtrics. And as we've been saying, Zig, Qualtrics is co-headquartered in Provo and Seattle. What are you seeing in terms of the Seattle market? You were here for many years with Microsoft. And are you seeing Utah itself follow in the same footsteps? Can you sort of compare and contrast these two markets at different points in time from your perspective? You know, I, I remember in uh, around 2008, 2009, driving into Seattle, South Lake Union area, and um, seeing the famous tow for the tow truck um, um, <laughs> yeah. that was there. Remember that? And I remember seeing all the cranes that started to come up at that time. And you knew that was the beginning of something very different that was underway. And, you know, if you flash forward to what things are like today in 2021, it's unrecognizable, right? Relative to what that area was then. And frankly, larger parts of Seattle and frankly, larger parts of the Puget Sound area, there's just so much growth and so much change. And, and I think it's an opportunity that that's created for companies and people that live in that area. And you know, if you look at what's going on right now between the Salt Lake City and Provo corridor, if you drive down the I-15 corridor, uh, or you cruise up to Park City up in the mountains there, you see very similar characteristics. You see an energy level, you see buildings coming up, you can certainly see um, communities that are being built, buildings coming in. If you talk to people and where they're from, 
they're coming in from different locations. They're moving from different states. You're seeing cultures actually, you know, from just different places, people that have different backgrounds coming together. It's a mixing bowl of opportunity. That same level of energy and growth and sort of call it the core elements going into that you know, bowl of ingredients is so much reminds me of what I saw in Seattle in that 2008, 2009 timeframe and that inflection point that took place. You know, I also heard an interesting statistic. It's uh, I'm probably dated on this a couple of years now, about 5,000 startups that are in this region. And that's being fueled by venture capital money that's coming in from Silicon Valley, coming in from Seattle. There's VCs that have, are homegrown here in the, uh, the Silicon Slopes, Utah area as well. So there's, there's many factors here that's just been fun to see, and it just reminds me so much. What's also interesting is that flight corridor between Salt Lake City and Seattle is very similar to the distance between San Jose and Seattle. And so but, but when you come into this zone, you get to be a part of a pretty cool lifestyle as well because of just the mountains, the rivers, the outdoor activity out here, the snow in the winter, the arts experience, and you've got the Sundance Film Festival that happens in January. So it's a, it's a fairly attractive region, you know, and, and the proximity of it to these other growth hubs, uh, I think, is also partly what's spilling over, in, you know, partly what's leading over to spill over the growth that's taking place here. Well, as we mentioned earlier, Qualtrics has a big building uh, that is not quite yet open fully in downtown Seattle, second in University Qualtrics Tower. You've got about 800 Qualtrics employees overall in the Seattle area. Where do you see this market going? Can you give us a sense for what things will be like for you here? And will folks actually be going back into the office in 2022? So first off, Seattle's still a growing tech hub for Qualtrics. And I think it's going to continue to be for many years. We have over 800 employees today in Seattle. We've you know announced plans that uh, we expect that that number will likely quadruple over the coming years, just given you know some of the underlying growth that we see in the company and the business. And frankly, I would say just the amazing talent uh, and human beings that exist in the Puget Sound area um, and people that want to live there. I mean, just like, you know, the attractions here that you see coming into Utah, you're seeing the same thing. People want to move from other places to be in the Seattle area. And many of our key leaders are based in Seattle. They span product, marketing, services, operations, research. Brad Anderson uh, recently joined us, uh, Qualtrics as well as also former um respected colleague of mine from Microsoft. Uh, and so he's frequently coming in between Seattle and Provo as well. And, and we already have new employees working in the new building that's, that's there in the Qualtrics Tower as well. So a lot of exciting things underway. Well, Zig, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate all of your time. Hopefully, maybe the next time we interview you, we can actually do it in person at the, the Qualtrics Tower. That would be a lot of fun. I would love doing that, and we can do it up, up on the top of the roof, looking over the, over, over the Puget Sound area. So Todd and John, pleasure to talk with you. Likewise. Thanks, Zig. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Our podcast producer is Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. We'll talk to you next time on GeekWire.